This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Alejandro Zuniga stepping in for Steve Lorenz with me. This is going to be half of a Michigan-Minnesota preview episode, but the first half of the episode, we're going to talk about Michigan's upcoming schedules. The Big Ten released its famous Flex Protect 18 schedule (laughs) format. Over the course of five years, Michigan will play every team home and away. It will have protected rivalries against Michigan State and Ohio State, yada, yada. It it is still notable, but it is funny. I, I did like the name and how they branded that as, I mean, I don't know. It's next year's iPhone model today. Uh, Yeah. Flex Protect plan. I mean, Flex Protect, it could be a diaper brand. It could be a dog (laughs) fence. There's a lot of things that it could be. Would not have predicted it to be a Big Ten schedule format. But regardless, first half of the episode, we'll talk about that. Second half of the episode, we'll do our keys for Michigan's offense and defense for road trip at Minnesota, along with our final score predictions for the game. But Alejandro, let's start with the... Big Ten schedule, and and I think the big story here, right off the jump, is that that Michigan, there, there's no longer going to be a two game season or three game season. I mean, this is this is a schedule that, from henceforth, they're going to be playing three, four, maybe even five or six ranked teams in a given season. You know, with the additions of USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. Next year, they're playing three of them. But Alejandro, I guess right off the bat, when you saw the schedule, what was your what was your first reaction, first takeaway? Reaction is excitement, right? I think uh, you and I both, and and we've heard plenty from Michigan fans that these last couple of years have been uh, a bit of a letdown in terms of what you get for your dollar at Michigan Stadium, right? Is when you're playing the Bowling Greens, the UNLVs, East Carolinas, UConn's uh, of the world, as opposed to playing Power Five opponents in the non-conference season. It just it, it it turns it into like a why do we even why even go why even sit through commercial breaks and then you look at the schedule and you're you're seeing USC you're seeing Oregon you know that Texas is on the schedule for next year uh, it's exciting it's exciting man I'm excited to see these games um, and I think number two reaction is thank goodness the college football playoff expands next year right because if you're Michigan yeah much uh, different discussion yeah, yeah if you're Michigan and it's a four team playoff you're looking at next year's schedule and you're thinking okay, we like, we've got no shot or, or a very minimal shot. But when it's a 12-team playoff, all of a sudden having an excellent strength of schedule is potentially a benefit. Even if you're losing a couple games in a season, you are bolstering your resume with the chance to, to win big games. It's like, you know, to a much smaller extent, right? It's like college basketball where, you know, wins are weighted a little bit more heavily. Good wins are weighted a little bit more heavily than losses. Uh, all of a sudden, you both get a very exciting schedule for the next few years, and especially in 24, uh, and a chance to play yourself into the college football playoff with no no doubts whatsoever that you belong there. Yeah, the the home games are going to be 
pretty awesome. I mean, one one home game slate next year is going to have USC, Texas, Oregon, and then Michigan State might honestly be like the fourth or fifth most <laughs> exciting home game, which isn't really even a, a, a huge slight to Michigan State. It's just like that's the that's the level of home opponents that are going to be coming in year in, year out. I'm excited. I know you and I have the opportunity to go on these road trips you know, as part of our job, so it's a little easier for us. But I'm excited for the road games. I think that's going to be very fun. And, and you know, all the road games have their own things that are fun. But I've seen the fan bases at Oregon. I've seen the fan bases at Washington. Uh, you know, the L.A. schools, maybe not so much. But <laughs> uh, but still, I mean, they have passionate fan bases that show up, pack the stadium, are very interesting. Like, it's a big matchup. I think this is going to be a win for the players. Even if Michigan isn't going 11 and one or 12 and zero every year, I think it, it really is going to prepare them for that 12 team playoff because one component of the 12 team playoff that, you know, is worth keeping an eye on is you might have to play a road game. You might have to play a Oklahoma or a Alabama or a LSU or Notre Dame on the road if you want to go and win a national championship. And and obviously, if that's the case, you're probably an underdog to win the national title. But at the same time, you know, I think this is going to battle test, you know, Michigan more so, in my opinion, having been to those venues than like a Purdue or a Rutgers or a Maryland or a Northwestern. And they'll still play those road games. You know, I see I've seen a lot of people kind of the first time, wow, this is so hard. This is impossible. This is the hardest schedule in the history of Michigan football, which I don't know. I'd have to dig through the numbers. Plus, we have to see how those teams actually look next season. But at the same time, you know, I think it's it's an opportunity to go to fun cities, to great venues, both for the players and for the fans and, and for the reporters, too. And, you know, kind of experience. I, I feel like the Big Ten got cooler with the addition of these four teams. I feel like the Big Ten, I mean, it's it's always been relevant when it's Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, and Wisconsin or Michigan State when they're good. But, you know, it just feels like there's going to be a lot more of those nationally relevant games. So I think it'll be very fun. But, you know, one question I think a lot of people, and I get it because I don't even know what college football is going to look like in 2027, 2028. But a lot of people are focusing on Michigan's 2024 schedule where we mentioned home games against USC against Texas against Oregon against Michigan State road games there's going to be a trip to Washington there'll be a trip to Ohio State I think I think I saw six currently ranked teams on next year's schedule which actually isn't that abnormal I mean there were years where Michigan if they played Notre Dame and Penn State and Ohio State and Wisconsin and Michigan State like like there were there have been seasons where Michigan has played six ranked teams but it I guess my question for you, Alejandro, I know there was a reported schedule that was even harder that had Wisconsin and Penn State in the mix. Michigan playing three of the Pac-12 newcomers. They're adding Texas into the mix. You know, obviously the road game at Ohio State's never going to be easy. Is the 2024 schedule hard enough? Is it hard enough that you would advise or you would recommend revising expectations for 2024? I think we don't know who all would be staying Roster-wise, it's it's a little too soon to tell, not just for Michigan, but for those other programs. I, by my count, Oregon, Washington, and Texas all could be having first-year starting quarterbacks next season, and, and USC too, actually. 
But is the schedule hard enough that you would probably revise expectations next season to, hey, winning the Big Ten might not be, that might not be the year. Making the playoffs might be a nice goal, but ultimately this is just the luck of the draw that that particular year too difficult or or what are your thoughts on the difficulty of that 2024 schedule? Yeah, I think there's a number of things at play here. Uh, and, and number one is when you're expanding the big 10 and you're adding teams like USC, like Washington, like Oregon, uh, that invariably reduces any one team's chance of winning the conference every year. Right. It, that's, that's basic probability. Uh, but B it, it just speaks to the level of competition that there's going to be every single year. Uh, so I think that that by itself is like if if Michigan is coming into the 24 season as if Michigan comes in, say, this year, right, as reigning back to back Big Ten champions. And there's expectation among Michigan fans that they will be competing for another Big Ten championship, maybe better odds than not that they will be crowned Big Ten champions for a third year in a row. I don't think those odds exist next year. Right. I think not that Michigan is is fully out of the question that they could win it. Michigan won't go into the year as odds on favorites or among, you know, a plurality of votes. Like it's just that there's too many good teams. Uh, I am curious looking at next year's schedule is thinking about that Texas series and thinking about the Oklahoma series that that follows that in a couple of years is what does college football look like? You know, and what does Michigan, what do these athletic departments decide to do with these marquee non-conference series when you see what your conference, like what your conference opponents look like? The Texas series is a very interesting one because that actually played a reportedly played a pretty big role in in Texas and Oklahoma uh, being allowed to leave for the SEC. I know there's a lot of television money involved with the series like that, but I but I'm curious to see what happens because. Yeah, this is a schedule uh, that to the strength that at least in in recent memory, uh, in recent history, I can't think of one that at least on paper is quite that strong. Now, it's important to say, too, is, you know, people are are looking down the list of these games and kind of they're projecting schedules based on what these programs look like right now. And programs change a lot, right, especially during the transfer portal era especially, you know, when coaches change, when you, who knows what's going to happen even next year, right? I mean, I think back to the fact, you know, we're talking about games we're excited for. I was pumped to go to Washington in 2020. And obviously, extenuating circumstances, that game never happened. Washington comes to Michigan Stadium in 2021. That's a marquee showdown. It's circled as like, okay, two power five teams that are going to be very good. Washington was awful in 2021. And they were awful right away. You know, obviously they are very good this year. College football playoff contender, you know, Pac-12 potentially champions going out the door uh, between them and USC, we'll see, and Oregon. Um, but we don't know what these programs are going to look like. So I think it's too early to say, oh, like all these schedules are going to be brutal. Uh, it is fair to say, though, that these schedules are going to be very interesting and a lot more interesting uh, than some of the schedules Michigan has had recently. Yeah, I, I remember I used to do in the summer, I would like rank the quarterbacks or the running backs or the offensive lines that Michigan would face the coming season. And it got boring. I like stopped doing it because it would always just be like Ohio State and Penn State and like a couple like it would kind of just be a battle for number three. Well, now, I mean, yeah, looking at next year in terms of interest, the interest will be extremely high. And and as you know, Washington, 
probably about as good as they've been as a program in the last two decades. Texas, probably about as good as they've been in the last decade and a half. So we'll see, you know, who who can retain it from one quarterback to the next, right? Thinking about Quinn Ewers, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, uh, you know, just all the different quarterbacks. And Michigan will have to do the same thing, p- p- potentially, if J.J. McCarthy heads to the NFL draft. So a lot still has to be sorted out. But I think it's, I think from my perspective, I do think a 12, a, predicting a 12 and 0 season would probably be unfair. That would be an unrealistic expectation. I think 11 and 1 might be as well. But I do think the playoffs should still be an expectation. I look at the defense. We'll get into 20. We'll spend a whole year previewing the 2024 <laughs> season. But there are a lot of star players Derek Moore, Will Johnson, uh, Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, Colston Loveland. I'm sure the offensive line and run game will still be really strong. You know, there's. I, I think Michigan is in an, a, a situation where they should never not be aiming for the college football playoff. There might be years where they're more top five than top 10, but but that should be Michigan's goal every single season. All right, a couple other quick things before we switch over to a Michigan-Minnesota preview. Alejandro, I think you teased it, but what road game in the next couple years are you most excited for us to go on and experience? Yeah, so so in 2025, uh, Michigan plays at Northwestern, and there's just no. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, First time in seven years. First time <laughs> for the Chicago alumni that that or Chicago Michigan fans that listen to our episode. That'll be seven years without going to Chicago. I feel like that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, so a couple a couple things before I, I I name Washington, which I'm going to do. Spoiler alert: A, it's you know the Big Ten Conference. It's like it's never been 10 teams or like it hasn't been in a very long time. Uh, but B, it just, it doesn't feel a whole lot like a conference when you can go so many years between playing certain schools. Uh, I know you mentioned like in a, in a tweet of yours, Zach, how long it's going to be between games at Purdue. Right. And, and Wilton Spate was the starting quarterback. He's going to be what? 32, 33 years old. The yeah, next time Michigan plays at Purdue, his back is going to hurt for a whole other reason. But you know, I'm I'm glad there's a model now where there are home and away games uh, every certain number of years. Uh, but it has been, you know, it's it's been disappointing, I, I'd say, for for a lot of Michigan fans and for a lot of a lot of fans of college football, uh, maybe who are supporters of a team that isn't exactly where they live. Uh, that that you go so many years between these games. Number one. And number two is that it's important to note, I think, that as we're excited about what this is going to look like for football, is that there are a lot of other varsity sports where this is going to be brutal. And it's going to be like, these are questions that haven't been answered yet that have to be answered. And and how does this work financially and from a, a student perspective? Because, you know, let's be real, is like the the men's and women's soccer programs, for example, like some of these student athletes are going pro in, you know, to major league soccer, the national women's soccer league, but the majority of these people are are students first and students to graduate with degrees. And that's going to be tough to do when you've got a conference like this one, but bringing it back to football, I want to go sail gating, man. I've, I was pumped to go to Washington in 2020. Yeah. We got to work our networks to get this, this boat connection. I cannot wait to go there next year, you know, and growing up, you know, when I was in high school and you're watching, well, there's Washington, but then there's also like you had Dennis Dixon and, and and Marcus Mariota and what you see at Oregon too. Like these are two schools that I am 
just so excited to go watch football games there. I, it looks beautiful on TV. I've been to Seattle. I, I've been to Eugene, great cities. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see Michigan play there. It's, you know, it, especially, you know, when you're adding USC, UCLA, like these are iconic brands in college football. Well, yeah, it was special when they met in the Rose Bowl. Uh, it's great that you have more consistent games where your top brands, like, you know, the, the marquee matchups are happening more frequently, right? You don't want to devalue it like Michigan playing Ohio State potentially three times in a season. Uh, but at the same time, you do want to make it so that there's something interesting to tune into every week. Getting Michigan fans, you know, on the Puget Sound or wherever it is in Washington, it's going to be so much fun. It will. It will. And, that, and you know, that's just... To me, like, it's cool when different schools do things a little differently. Like, we've been to a few. Some, the tailgating scene is right by downtown. Nebraska actually was surprisingly close to downtown. I feel like Madison and a couple other ones are like that, too. Some, like Penn State, it's very, like, you bring your truck and you spray paint your parking spot and you you have a ball. And it's it's fun to see all the different ways our country can enjoy college football and and for those who sailgate or I remember when I went to Utah you know it's just like a, it was just a very different vibe like there were mountains and everything it's just it's just fun to kind of mix it up a little bit so Washington's probably the one I'm looking forward to it's also known to be really loud in mm-hmm. that stadium so that will be interesting as well I think the other one that is on my radar because Michigan's never played there actually is Oklahoma I don't know a ton about Norman, Oklahoma. I have a guess for what it looks like, but at the same time, very passionate fan base, two historically uh, impressive programs who are always in the mix for things. I believe they've only faced off once, and that was in the Orange Bowl in 1975, a 14-6 Oklahoma win. So yeah, that'll be another one that I'm I'm interested in. Uh, just new trip, new thing, new experience. We'll see. I, I still kind of wonder if Michigan will switch the locations for that series. If they don't, I, th- I think they're going to keep it because I think TV slash Oklahoma still want it, but I do wonder if they switch the locations between 25 and 26, uh, just so Michigan's not playing six home games one year and eight the next, but regardless, yeah, Washington, Oklahoma, uh, some of the USC in 2025. Those are some of the new atypical venues that Michigan will be traveling to in the next couple of years. All right, we'll talk a lot about the 2024 schedule and and all that after the 2023 season, but we got to get back into it. We're going to hit a quick break. On the other side, we'll preview Michigan-Minnesota Saturday night game in Minneapolis. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So Alejandro, I know you did your behind enemy lines with Ryan Burns. I've done my stat digging for the for the by the numbers. I'll have my scouting report up and and my keys to the game as well, if you want to read more into it. But what do you think is the biggest key or what do you most want to see from Michigan's offense this week? What, what is the thing that you're not, not just necessarily to win, although that is the biggest key to Saturday night is trying to win. 
But, you know, also having discussed things with players and coaches this week in press conferences, what, what are you looking to see most from Michigan on Saturday from the offensive side of things? Yeah, fr- from everything I've gathered, uh, both in, in speaking to uh, some insiders over on the Minnesota side and then watching some of their, their film from the beginning portions of the season, I don't think too highly of that Minnesota defense. Um, they, they've they've really struggled over these last couple of weeks and in particular uh, at the linebacker level, right? I know their, their star linebacker, their best linebacker, Cody Lindenberg, uh, he's been out since fall camp. It doesn't sound like he's going to give it a go this weekend. Uh, that program, much like Michigan, is, is very tight-lipped about the status uh, of their players up until game time. Um, so, so what that means to me, and, and given that their best defensive player, uh, Tyler Newbin, I mean, he's in the secondary, uh, it indicates to me that Michigan should be successful running the ball again, and Michigan should be successful in, you know, doing some of the things with misdirection that, that confuse linebackers, put them in the wrong gaps. And with that, the, the Michigan offensive player I'm most going to be keeping my eye on is I think a lot of us will is, is Donovan Edwards, right? I think his game against Nebraska was probably the best we've seen him play this season, uh, at least in terms of how hard he was running, how confidently he was hitting holes. It's fair to say through five games in the season, and he said it himself, is that this isn't the start to the year that he necessarily expected. He acknowledged that it was slower, a slower start to the year, and especially in context of what he did you know, against Ohio State, against Purdue, uh, against TCU to an extent uh, at the end of last year, not producing quite at the level that I think many people expected, but but clearly is still talented enough and versatile enough that I'm very curious to see how Michigan uses him. And I think they did a good job, Michigan's coaches did, against Nebraska, is not only did they get the ball to him, you know, as as a receiver, um, you know, running, you know, catching out of the backfield, uh, but they also in the second half gave him consistent carries you know, gave him starters carries, uh, gave him more carries than he was usually getting in a row because he would normally be rotating with Blake Corum or Kalel Mullings. So I'm curious in this game, especially if Michigan feels comfortable in their lead, uh, comfortable in the fact that they can, you know, cruise to a victory uh, in the second half. A, how much are they feeding Donovan Edwards? And B, can he finally score that touchdown that I know he's been looking for that I know Michigan coaches really want him to get. They want to feature Donovan Edwards, keep him happy. Uh, And given that he's coming off a good game, given that Minnesota, I think, is going to struggle at their linebacker level and defending a guy like Edwards, I think it's a chance for him to really break out. Yeah, it's like like a tricky thing because we don't know the whole situation. We don't see him in practice. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know the full extent of the injury that he sustained in fall camp in addition to missing the spring as he rehabbed from other injuries. So, you know, I hate to sound like we know what's going on there, but what we do know is that his production hasn't been up to his standard. It hasn't been up to, you know, the standard that fans necessarily expected from the outside or media expected from the outside. So yeah, he'll definitely be a player. And then at the same time, here comes Kalel Mullings, as you mentioned, really impressive last couple of games. I mentioned him as a, as a chain mover and on Sunday's podcast, recapping the Nebraska win. So that's one storyline. I think the biggest key that I want to see, and and I think we've largely we largely saw it last week. I don't think this is necessarily a big picture. This is more make sure you avoid the upset against Minnesota. Is 
avoid those turnovers. Minnesota, they've got a, you know, you mentioned uh, Newbin, Henderson is another safety. They've got, as a secondary, they've got eight interceptions this season. That's, I believe, tied for second among Power 5 teams. They've got some ball hawks in the, in the secondary. And I think they play physical enough. You bring up a good point about the linebackers being a little shorthanded or, or having some roster turnover there. I do think they play physical enough that, you know, you're also going to have to be mindful of fumbles and up a, if Michigan gives up a sack, you know, that kind of situation too. Because I think the turnovers, when I look at Minnesota's defense, that's really the one area that they, I would say, stand out in. That's the one area where they're able to, I mean, I'll be frank, I don't think that they're beating Nebraska if they don't force, what it was, it four turnovers in that game. So, yeah, I think that's, to me, that's the biggest key for the offense. And that'll also be a good sign for the steady hand that J.J. McCarthy has brought so far this season. I know everyone's going to look at the three interceptions against Bowling Green, but I felt like he kind of cleaned, cleaned it back up against Rutgers and Nebraska. And, you know, if you're able to avoid turnovers on the road, you're going to have a very successful team almost always, especially when you have the defense and the talent in place. But if Michigan coughs up a couple turnovers, be it on special teams or on offense, and suddenly the defense has to play with the short field, the crowd isn't quieted down the way that, that Michigan is hoping they are, you know, that's where suddenly these, these road games get a little dicier. Um, you know, I think the, the 2015 game at Minnesota, which I believe was the last time Michigan played at Minnesota with fans in the stands you know, that came down to a goal line stand. Uh, so yeah, similar, similar formula. Don't turn the ball over. I, I want to say Michigan is 40. It's either 43 or 44 and oh under Jim Harbaugh when they don't turn the ball over, which I feel like that tells you everything you need to know about about you know how successful Michigan is at winning games when they don't kind of step on their own feet. So yeah, I think avoiding interceptions, you know, making sure you're running smart. I don't Michigan's not a huge fumble team, but you know, knowing how Minnesota likes to play physical on defense, even when they don't have a particularly good defense. I think PJ Fleck, that's one thing I've been really impressed by by what he's brought to Minnesota is I, I do feel like there's a a physicality, a contact courage, a love for, you know, physical football or other big 10 teams don't always have, especially when they play, you know, teams like Michigan or Wisconsin or whoever. So I, I've been, always been impressed by Minnesota the last few years at their physicality. All right. Flipping over to the other side of the ball. I think the biggest key for Minnesota's offense is probably if <laughs> Darius Taylor can play their star running back, but, but your biggest key for Michigan's defense in this matchup. I'm I'm going to be keeping a really close eye on the secondary. It's been uh, positions, you know, the the corners and the safety and the safeties have been banged up all year. Uh, and while Michigan has gotten some guys back, um, obviously they're still playing banged up, right? We learned this week that, you know, Mike Sainer still, he took a knock a couple weeks ago against Rutgers. Obviously he was good to go uh, against Nebraska, but he played on a snap count. Um, he I think he only played 16 snaps. Uh, Will Johnson's back, but you know, maybe still easing his way back in both physically and mentally and, and stamina wise after missing some time. Uh, same with Rod Moore, uh, you know, Rod Moore, it does sound like he's still playing through pain as well. Uh, so there's, there's enough injuries on that secondary that it, it's not like super concerning uh, because obviously defensively they've uh, there've been, there's been very little to complain about so far this year. Um, but every game, it's something I just want to keep a close eye on. Um, in particular, like, listen, 
Uh, the Minnesota quarterback, uh, Kaliak Manis, he's not a guy that Minnesota wants to put a lot on, on his plate, right? He was um, not fantastic through the first few weeks of the season. He had a really rough outing at UNC. Um, last game, I think he only had 14 pass attempts as, as Michigan, as Minnesota, excuse me, uh, looked a little bit like Michigan in the sense that they, they want to run the ball down your throat and they're going to, you know, like a JJ McCarthy, they're only going to use his arm kind of when, when they need, need him to. Um, but Cali Manis is, is certainly not anywhere near at the level of JJ McCarthy, both in terms of skill at this point in his career and arm talent and, uh, preventing turnovers. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, one of the catches of the early part of the year uh, was Daniel Jackson getting his his feet down in bounds to help Minnesota uh, beat Nebraska uh, in that week one game. And, and so I'm just I'm curious to see how the secondary is tested and, and how it holds up. I, you know, Mike Sainer still has played well, uh, but he he's gotten beat a couple times, uh, both against Rutgers and then against Nebraska. He got beat on, on a long completion there. Uh, and as these guys are getting healthy, like do they go to younger players? Do they keep trying to stick with their their veterans who are getting healthy? Uh, that for me is going to be what I'm keeping a closest eye on uh, against Minnesota this this weekend. Yeah, I think that's the the secondary is definitely a position group I'll be watching closely. Not not again, not just not in like necessarily a bad way, but how do they grow? Because I think every single member of that secondary would probably say, "Oh, I could get better. Or I could do better." And and I, you know, Steve Klingscale, I feel like he would say the same thing like their standards are higher than their performance has been so far and and quietly I mean Nebraska scoreboard is ultimately the the first response I can think of but they did do well piecing together some pass heavy drives they were stringing together some of those slant plays some of those uh short range passes so yeah that'll definitely be an area to watch thinking about Minnesota I mean the the, the biggest key is just stop the early runs, stop the first down runs, the second down runs, force them into passing situations. I feel like I've said this three weeks in a row, but that's that's the Big Ten for you, right? They have a good run game, especially when Darius Taylor's health, healthy. Pass game has not been there at, at the same level. And in fact, Minnesota, they have five passing touchdowns and four interceptions this season. When it's not play action passes, they have one touchdown and three interceptions. So it's really run game and play action are all they can do effectively. Their yards per attempt in play action is over seven yards per attempt, not play action. It's 5.2. So you're looking at an offense that, that even when they're passing, it's because the run game was a perceivable threat. You know, it was like a second and five play action pass, stuff like that. So yeah, I think, I think ultimately if you, if you force second and long third and long, uh, the, you know, Michigan's going to have a huge, huge advantage in this matchup. I, I don't think, I don't think Minnesota does as much funky stuff in the run game as as Nebraska. You know, Nebraska. There's a, I had a big thing about the perimeter runs, the option pitches, the reverses, the sweeps. You know, Minnesota, they'll they'll run straight up, you know, in between the tackles, and they're usually pretty effective at it. I don't think their offensive line is is too bad at all, but Michigan's defensive line, I would say, is better. And I would say Michigan has the opportunity if, say, it's first and 10 and they, they try a run, you hold them to two yards and then you know, they attempt to pass, they miss it. You know, Suddenly it just changes the complexion of what Minnesota can call play-wise because they have a new starting quarterback for the first time since 2018. They have 
you know, some injuries in the receiving game. They have a couple of receivers who, who have left over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I, I don't think this is a passing attack that poses a major threat when the run game isn't there. Now, that's easier said than done. Taylor was really effective. He leads the country in rushing yards per game on uh, 6.1 yards per carry. And then Zach Evans, who had not played this season, at least in a running back role, he comes in last week. He's a redshirt freshman. 85 yards on 15 carries with a touchdown. Now, I know it was Louisiana Lafayette, so take that for what you will. But at the same time, I think similar to Michigan, I think the the offensive line, the run schemes, I actually do think Minnesota is going to be able to effectively run the ball against most teams. The big question for me is Michigan most teams. My inclination is no. On that note, Alejandro, your final score prediction and any other thoughts you have on this matchup to keep an eye on. When I did my prediction over on the the Minnesota boards over at Gopher Illustrated, I I took Michigan 31 to 13. Um, At last check, this was a a 19, 19 and a half point spread. Uh, There's a couple things that I think play into Minnesota's favor a little bit. Um, Number one is, you know, the Minnesota is a team that likes to run the ball, right? That they're, a lot like Michigan in that capacity. And that just shortens the game. And obviously Michigan dominated Nebraska uh, last week, but they, they had the advantage of that interception and short field very early on that turned, that turned the game and kind of ended the game, you know, when it was 14, nothing so quickly. Um, So that's number one. Uh, I I don't think that, you know, at least from, from talking to the Minnesota folks, it doesn't sound like um, Darius Taylor is going to give it a go, but we'll see. Um, but Minnesota, as I learned, a couple of their assistants uh, or a couple of their former coaches are now at at Rutgers, uh, and potentially some phone calls are being made there of like, hey, you know, w- what did you see out of Michigan? What are some areas to exploit uh, in in that capacity? So, you know, do do I think that Minnesota is going to give Michigan, you know, a super strong challenge? No, but at the same time, I do think that. Hey, it's going to be a night game. Uh, it's a it's a sold out crowd. Uh, it's going to be, you know, unless there's another you know quick score for Michigan, another couple quick scores, it's going to be a crowd that's into it for a while. Uh, and it's a Minnesota program that, you know, while Michigan hasn't faced them very often, you know, PJ Fleck in his last three full seasons, they've won nine or more games. Uh, now they they don't look quite that good this year, uh, and you know they've never won the. Uh, the Big Ten West, as crazy as that is, um, but they've been a solid program. And I think if if the game, you know, if Minnesota keeps the game clean, uh, if if the game is shortened by the new clock rules and it's two teams that like to run the ball, uh, then I could see it as one of those very classic Michigan games that we saw through the first, you know, few games of this year and we saw it so often last year is, you know, Michigan scores an early touchdown. I think they'll be able to move the ball just fine. Uh, but then you only have a few possessions in the first half. So it's close enough at halftime that you're a little bit worried. And then Michigan just simply has too much talent across the board. And I think they, they pull away in the second half uh, and, you know, cu- come back to Ann Arbor six and zero unscathed and, and looking toward the back half of that schedule. Yeah. I'm with you. I think this is going to be a slower pace game. And I, I know a lot of people talk about the clock changes and that, that definitely plays a role, but I, I also just think like, this is the first year I feel like the common fan is really looking at number of possessions because Michigan, they've, they've played a lot of slow 
games this year. They've had a lot of games where they didn't even get to 10, 12 drives. Uh, I think the average number of plays is, what, 176? I feel like Michigan's played a couple games where it was like 120 plays or even less. So I, I think this could be another one of those. I mean, you know, we'll see because this Minnesota team, I think the 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 difference is this is a experienced Minnesota team, and I don't know if they recruit well enough to constantly be that, as you said, the 9-4, and 9-4. and four. I think one year they were 11-2. and two. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to be quite that good, but the, the X factor is how do they grow throughout the season? How do they get better? Because, yeah, you're right. On paper, we can talk big game about Rutgers' improved defense and improved run game. We can talk a lot about Nebraska's improved defense and improved run game. But Minnesota, they've been good at those things for a while. You know, this isn't this isn't a team that's kind of wide-eyed heading into this matchup. This is a team that's that's beaten Wisconsin's and Iowa's and yeah. Nebraska. Yeah, they, took, uh, they took down Penn State in a top top five Penn State in that eleven one season a few years ago. So yeah, they... yeah. I don't know how many of those players. Well, actually, there's a couple. There's a couple players that are still around from that team that I, I can think of. But but yeah, I think you know this isn't a team that's going to be bewildered or you know or freaking out or anything i mean especially on in their home home field and where they haven't lost yet this year you know i think this is a team that's gonna play comfortably that said i think michigan's defense just makes this it's so hard to have a chance against michigan when when michigan's defense is playing as well as it has so far this season so i've got a slightly i don't i don't remember what the spread was i've got a slightly lower scoring game though i've got 28 to 7 as my predicted game score. We'll see what happens. Obviously, we'll both be in Minneapolis and have tons of coverage over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan247sports.com before, during, and after the game. We're looking forward to the trip. I know I, I went in 2020, but there were no fans in the stands, so it wasn't quite the same experience. Otherwise, Michigan hasn't been there since 2015. So should be an interesting one. Should be, you know, I think we're both predicting Michigan to win but I think we both are aware, you know, Minnesota, I think they're, they're, that's always the X factor when a team actually like plays hard for their coaches and hits hard for their coaches. I'm seeing all around the country that's becoming just as big of a factor again as, as talent is, you know, in this post-COVID you know, NIL transfer portal era. It really does come down to do your players want to play hard for you. And Minnesota, I feel like over the past couple of years, they've shown that. And we'll see what this inexperienced Golden Gophers team does, kind of with their first true shot at at, a, at an upset win at home. You know, can they provide some trap game tendencies? You and I are predicting not so much. At the same time, they play the games on the field for a reason. For Alejandro Zaniga, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.